Somebody once told me, it's not innovation if it's not changing behavior. Mm. Right. Um, yeah, so like the best innovations are the ones you don't even know exist mm. because they just become part of your mm. routine. Like somebody actually pays attention to how you engage your environment and they make it better and you don't even notice. That's the kind of impact I want to have in the world. Mm. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of No Experience Acquired. My name is Chase. I'm here with my co-host, Stephen. Hi. <laughs> Stephen with a PH. <laughs> Stephen with a PH. And today we have a very, 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 very special guest. IT. IT. I think there was some applause there. Oh, yeah. We yeah. can get that going here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Great audience tonight. <laughs> yeah, it is so awesome to have you on this episode. So you are visiting us. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, you're home. Feels you're, weird. You're visiting. Yeah. So, yeah, tell us uh, where you're currently at. and Yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself, your background, sure. whatever you want to share. So I'm currently in North Carolina, but rewind the tape way back a thousand years ago. I'm okay. just joking. Yeah. Um, I was born in Nigeria, uh, pretty much raised till after high school. And then came to the United States for college, studied engineering, and I had to make decisions for myself after that. Hmm. So I've just been trying stuff out. So, so far, so good, I guess. What are a few of the things you've tried out? Yeah. So when I graduated college, I have a chemical engineering degree. The thought process was I was going to go back to Nigeria and be a petrochemical engineer. And I just happened to take this trip to a company called W. Ogun Associates, and it was amazing. Mm. Like, I saw the culture of the company. I saw the stuff they did. started hearing this buzzword, innovation, and I decided, you know what? I'm going to take a pause. Instead of going to Nigeria, I'm going to spend two years at W. Ogun Associates just to learn more about innovation. And that two years was obviously much longer than two years, but that's one, you know, yeah, one decision a few data points, and then tried it out. It was fun. So, so you started back in 2008, right? 2008. 2008. And you were there ago. up until last year. Yep. Yeah. So we had the opportunity to work together a little bit mm-hmm. and I actually kind of owe my current commitment to IT. <laughs> yeah. So when I applied for the current commitment that I'm in, I called him up and I said, hey, I don't know if I'm qualified for this <laughs> position. And there was a certain 3D software that, yeah. that we use. And, and I asked him, did you learn on the job, did you train? Because you became a clinical specialist. Yeah. And uh, he said, yeah, go for it. He said, you're smart enough to learn it. And uh, so I did. You're the reason I applied. Oh, you're too I am kind. into the commitment, so. Yeah, you know, um, I'm a big fan of just learning. Um, and whenever you talk about transitions, you know, I still go for 14 years, but in between that time, I've done a ton of different things. And the key driver for me has always been the opportunity to learn something new. Hmm. Once I build competency, I wouldn't say mastery. Once I build competency, that's the signal for me to go try something else. Hmm. And, you know, yeah, if you're a learner, 
it doesn't matter what you're doing today. If you're willing to learn, put in the work, you can always pivot and try something else. And if you don't like it, you can always change. So that's my philosophy. That's great. Yeah. So WL Gore is mm-hmm. a pretty big company who Huge. kind of specializes in manufacturing different global materials. I think mm-hmm. their most popular is probably Gore-Tex, mm-hmm. which is kind of this um, water-resistant, very breathable fabric that's used in various applications. But they also do cables, they mm-hmm. do technology, mm-hmm. but you were in the medical division. So mm-hmm. what initially drew you to the medical side of things? Yeah, that's a good point. I actually started um, in the polymer science division. So I'll describe Gore a little bit. Um, so think about like a base layer and then like three pillars coming up the base layer. So the base layer is this core competency that the organization kind of developed and it's a material science, material science core competency. And on top of that, they've been able to solve key problems in a variety of industries. So the medical industry is one, like Stephen was talking about. Um, and then the fabrics industry, like the Gore-Tex waterproof jackets. And then you have something called performance solution, which is just a, a bucket for a ton of mini industries as well. So I started at the base layer and was working on one of the enabling technologies for all the three different pillars. And I was just looking at my engagement at the company at the time, almost always driven by wanting to make an impact. And I really had to ask myself the question of, okay, if I continue with this base portion of the company, what kind of impact can I make considering the people around me? And it quickly became clear to me that if I wanted to kind of have the impact that I wanted to have, I needed to pick one of the pillars. And as I thought about the different properties of the pillars, it became clear that the medical pillar was very um, attractive to me for a whole lot of reasons. Uh, Personal motivation, um, just the industry is exciting, a lot of problems to solve. And also I could see like a quick win. Like Mm -hmm. if if I were to go into the medical industry right now, I knew like the first couple of things I needed to do to make an impact. So that's why I pivoted into the medical industry. So you were there for how long in that in that industry specifically? Yeah, so I spent about five years at the base layer, we call it a core okay. technology, and then I spent about nine years within the medical harm of the business. Wow. Yeah, it's a long time. So that involved uh, new product yeah. development, right? So yep. definitely in the lane of innovation for sure. Yeah. So what were some of the... Uh, things that, and you don't have to go in depth, but what are some of the areas that you did work on in the medical industry? What impact did you find that you had? So let me, let me describe kind of what, what we did at Gore a little bit, Mm -hmm. and then kind of walk my way backwards and talk about how I translated that into engineering and, and what I did. So at Gore, one sub space that we cover is you have within you um, arteries. Think of them as pipes, like, you know, your house has a ton of pipes running around the wall. You don't see them. Mm. But when the pipe bursts, you know there's a pipe behind the wall. Um, so similarly to your pipes, you have that in your body as well. And in some cases, you can have a scenario where there's one particular pipe that is susceptible to bursting. Clearly, you don't want that. Um, so we developed a solution that enables, instead of us like breaking the wall of your house or cutting you open, like, invasively, uh, figured out a minimally invasive way to like get into the piping system 
and deploy this device. Okay, so that's kind of what we did. Um, the platform was in existence when I joined Go Medical, but you always could make it better. So I was trying to solve a particular problem. So the value of that problem was, as the current product existed today, not everybody could use it for some certain limitations. Um, and what I was trying to do was figure out a way to eliminate those limitations so we can create this universal product mm. that is applicable to a more broader patient population. And to do that, I needed to think about the device and its different components. So think about the device as like different Lego pieces, you know, coming together to like build like a Lego structure. So one of the first things I did was broke it apart in my mind and envisioned a new combination mm. and then really asked myself, do I need all the pieces that was in the original combination? Mm. And the answer was no. So, but then like if you put it together without the original pieces, it doesn't work the same. Mm -hmm. Like it feels weird. So now I needed to like think of new pieces that weren't on the board to really make that new combination complete. And that's, in a nutshell, um, the process of innovation that I went through a couple of times at Gore. It was painful, but if you just kept at it, like, eye level, it had to make sense before you, like, put in the time and the effort to say, I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to think about it and convince yourself that it's doable. Mm -hmm. But the challenge is actually finding the solution, if that makes sense. That I mean, first of all, that was such an eloquent way to like <laughs> explain what you did without yeah. giving away any like yeah. <laughs> Steven, intellectual property. Yeah, uh, Stephen's over here monitoring for walls. it. <laughs> That's funny. No, that was so good. But yeah. obviously, you were good at your job. But finding that solution that was part of the attraction for you, though, right? Yeah. That was part of is being able to kind of see the fruits of your labor and 100%. then like the reward afterward. So you also said that you saw a few ways that you'd have a quote-unquote few quick wins as far as the <laughs> impact goes. In actually getting into the process, did you find that those were quick wins or was it more involved than you thought? And did you have the impact that you originally imagined you'd make? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, clearly wasn't the quick win that I thought it would be for sure. Um, it turns out, um, so let me take a step back. You can think like abstractly and look at things from afar and say, oh, it's just X, Y, Z. And from there, you can kind of come up with like simple vectors or simple ideas. But then when you get closer to the problem and you actually think in action, you start to see new elements of the problem. Mm. It's almost like you're climbing Mount Humphreys it's a mountain here in Arizona. If you're doing it for the first time, um, you get to a point where you think that's peak and it's it's actually a false summit. So that's like that abstract thinking mm. from afar. And then when you get closer to the problem, you're like, oh, wow, there's a bit more involved that I couldn't see from afar. Mm -hmm. But now that I'm closer to the problem, I can actually see it. So at that point, you have to like look inside yourself and say, do I still believe that this problem is solvable. Can I still make it to the top of Humphreys? Mm -hmm. And technically it is possible, but the problem is now you have to find a path, right? 
Um, and, and that's where like thinking in action, spending time in the lab, um, like you're actually building a prototype, not because you have an idea, but because you're trying to understand the problem a little bit better. Mm. So that you can then go back and change your thinking engine. It's almost like you're updating your software so that you can actually think and come up with like creative uh, solutions. But you, had, you, you needed that experience in order to build that thinking software, if that makes sense. Yeah. A little bit, no? Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Yeah. That's yeah, awesome. Uh, so you then were making this great impact, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and having huge, incredible changes across different people's lives just by the nature of what you did. About a year ago, mm-hmm. something changed. Yeah. And you mentioned before that you felt like you, <clears throat> or your, your perspective is that when you reach a certain level of competency, mm-hmm. then it's almost time to move on to something yeah. new. Yeah. Now, you did move on from Gore, uh, but I want to hear a little bit more. Was that the perspective that drove the change or was yeah. there more to that? Yeah, it's a good question. There's definitely more. Um, I'd love to get you guys' thoughts on this as well, but life is, I don't want to sound glim, but it's, it's almost like a f- one false summit after another in a sense, if I could put mm-hmm. it that way. But it's a beautiful experience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely utility to get into the next uh, summit. So when you start playing with technology and, you know, coming up with unique combinations and getting rewarded for it, you do that a couple of times, you know, you start to ask yourself, now what? Mm. Like, what's the consequence of this technology? So instead of thinking about the solution, you start to think about the problem that the technology is designed to solve. And then you start to play around with the problem. Like, Okay, so I wanted a product that is, you know, universally applicable to a whole host of patient cohorts. Okay, so why is that important? Who are these people? Why do they have this risk of having their artery burst in the first place? Like, kind of what's going on there? Like, is there, like, a way for me to find these people before they get to the stage of mm. needing that device? Like, what's the predictive factors? Um, and then it shifts you away from the lab to actually going into the hospital or like doing like a patient flow, patient journey. That's what you did before. So before you were still school. working at Gore at yeah. this point. Yeah. That was that still stage. a career change for that you, was, that right? Was a, that was a massive career change. So I went away from the lab. Okay. I, I took on that clinical application specialist role. Okay. I was traveling all the time. But then like... So what did you do just a little bit just to yeah. make sure we give some context around this? So you went from developing the solution to then doing what? So finding a problem Mm -hmm. and then defining the problem. And how would you do that? Yeah, so you had to step away from the lab Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, drop all the things that you know and go build new capability. So you're stepping in, um, you're doing a couple of things. Number one, you're speaking to doctors, the people that see the patients. Mm -hmm. You're watching the doctors treat the patients and you're like, there's got to be a better way to do this. Like, why is the doctor doing it this way? That seems uncomfortable, both for the doctor and the patient. And then you're following the patient as well. Who are they before the treatment? What their experience during the treatment? And then post-treatment, how has their life changed? And you're trying to, like, create minimal disruption throughout that patient journey. But you realize that, okay, if I just change my design of my device a little bit, I can have minimal disruptions to the patient. Mm. 
Mm. So now you're now coming up with like a problem statement to say a different way to still treat the patient. And if we can come up with this new problem statement, we're going to have a new set of value for mm-hmm. the organization. But then I ran into another challenge of pitching this problem statements to key stakeholders. And then I realized that I needed a different level of skill sets. Like I needed to speak business language mm-hmm. and I had no competency there. Um, mm. And it was evident that that was affecting my effectiveness. Mm. So that that's a long way of answering your question of why I chose to like leave this exciting career mm. and go build new capability. That's interesting. So <clears throat> it, that is the funny thing about engineering and I've worked with software engineers and mm-hmm. how they approach problems is mm-hmm. very much direct. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and the problem that they're facing can be complex and be more in depth than what you originally think. And as you dive into it, but then when it's taken out to people who use it, similar to doing, that's another set of problems. And yeah. like you're saying, you've designed this solution that's supposed to solve a problem, yeah. but then it goes out to real world situations mm-hmm. and you got to then step away from that direct problem solving to then see how it was implemented and recognize a whole nother problem set. Yeah. But then you faced the problem set mm-hmm. where in business, you need to have you need to prove a business value yep. of what you're proposing. Yep. Otherwise, it won't be invested in, and you'll have no. Regardless if you've identified a, a real problem, mm-hmm. if you can't communicate the problem correctly yep. and communicate the value that you'll eventually get from dedicating money into the problem, mm-hmm. you won't actually get to build the solution that now you've seen in a real world scenario. Because what they have might be already good enough, yeah. um, and it might not be worth an extra investment because the return is marginal, yeah. or at least the perception is. But then, so you went from realizing and mm-hmm. recognize that you had a really good competency at the engineering and recognizing true problems and being able to come up with solutions. Mm-hmm. So your next step, once you recognize that the business portion was a weak area, mm-hmm. you quit your job. Yeah. Pretty much. You applied to a college to yeah. get an MBA, correct? Correct. To go and go to business school. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that now that you've been there for about a year? Yeah. That's your goal in mind. Yeah. Um, how has that been going? Yeah. It, <laughs> so quitting your job was a scary step. Um, it, it took a, a certain level of mental resilience to say, what's the worst that could happen? Mm. I can always come back and get a job or I can get a different job. But it took a while to get there. So let's describe business school a little bit. Uh, so the hypothesis was a way to build business competency to be more effective at pitching opportunities or problems that organizations should be working on. So how do you do that? Um, so business school teaches you a couple of things. They teach you to understand the language of economics, the language of finance, um, the language of, um, like, it's the soft skills, like networking, um, engaging with people, reading the room, building leadership, mm. and making a pitch and making a case. So the first year of business school is intense. Um, you go through like a core curriculum, but then on top of those core curriculums, there are a few other things that you can do that are optional. And unfortunately, given my nature, I kind of went all in. And that was not a good idea. Um, <laughs> but I'm still here, um, so I was doing like like two or three other things on top of like a, a heavy stack of, you know, core business um, classes and things of the sort. So how's it going so far? Uh, mind blown. 
Mm. I think it's working. Um, so I can look at an opportunity or a problem and before saying a word, kind of think through all those key frameworks mm. to determine whether this is a good opportunity or not. And then instead of word vomiting to tell people, mm. it's almost like you have a car, right? Um, as the person using the car, you only need to do a couple of things to get the car to move. Turn on the ignition and push this pedal. Well, mm. change the gear and push the pedal, right? That's it. But the person that designed the car, like those simple commands that you just did, there's so many like actions going on behind, mm -hmm. like in the engine and a few other things, transmissions and stuff like that you don't see. Mm -hmm. That's what business school teaches you. It teaches mm. you those engines and the transmission of like figuring out a way to like create momentum. Mm -hmm. But then you don't want to like word vomit all those things to the people that you're trying to pitch. Mm -hmm. You have to then change perspective and figure out a way to communicate it from the frame point of turn on the engine, mm -hmm. change your gear and push a pedal mm -hmm. in a convincing way. Mm -hmm. And the business school also teaches you how to do that as well. So I haven't tested it out yet. I'm still in business school. Um, the way to test it would be to actually do it and see if people give me their money to go work on an exciting opportunity. But it's been amazing. I've learned a lot, and I believe I'm going to continue to learn a lot for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's great. Before we like move on to what kind of maybe future you see right, mm -hmm. with, with what you're learning, how long had it been since you'd been in school yeah. And how different is it now that you've gone Oh, back? my God. <laughs> uh, 14, 15 years. Okay. Um, when I was in school, so when I was in school the first time, it felt like this was what you're supposed to do. I didn't know why, mm. but it felt like I'm supposed to do this because somebody said so. Mm. And then afterwards, I'll get a job that's what people do and just figure it out from there so it was not motivating it was just checking the box mm. but then as you start to work and you're making decisions for yourself depending on your personality you start to like figure out that you're actually interested in a different set of problems right and the problems compound to a point where like you realize you need to like be focused, like go back to school to like try to like understand those compounding problems that you've picked up along the years and try to get answers to those problems. So now you're engaged. You know why you're going to school and you know what you're looking for. Mm. So it's a whole different experience. Mm. It's a lot of work. Your brain has changed as well. Mm. Um, so you have to learn how to do homework. <laughs> I ask the kids all the time, like, are you having fun at school? And they give me a look. When I say kids, like, I mean, like, you know, middle schoolers, right. friends of mine. Mm -hmm. Right. And they give me this look. And I'm always telling them, like, school's fun. Why don't you? Have... Now I get it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, could, it could be a lot of work. Yeah. But, you know, um, what keeps you going is the fact that you're more intentional about it. So that's a big difference from when I did it 14 years ago. Yeah, you have a different... Um understanding of its results and impact. Like you yeah. said before, you felt like you were just checking a box. Yeah. And 
most kids probably do, especially going through before college where it's just like, I just have to do this without yeah. truly understanding the value you're getting in return. Whereas now you have a better perspective and you came in with the intent to get a value from what you're going through now. Yeah. And the class structures are so different as well. Um, you're expected to bring a point of view to class. It's not just the professor mm. bringing all the point of view. Mm. Because you're sitting across people that have expertise in one thing or another. And you want to make sure you create a space for them to speak. And you're one of them. So you're learning from your class and you're learning from the professor. Um, so it's a different kind of engagement. And then you are speaking with industry experts. Um, so it's not uncommon for you to like have a meeting with like the CEO of this company or some like you know, private equity guy uh, or some venture capitalist guy or some entrepreneur. Like when you think about learning, learning comes in various modes, mm -hmm. right? It's not just the classroom. And the business school is designed such that they give you as much optionality on all those different modes. And it's up to you to like leverage them based on your interests, right? It's just like this like chaos of opportunity, and you have to be selective in the ones you pursue, obviously. Mm. Otherwise, you're going to get lost. So I have a little side question. I won't dive too deep, okay. but I'd love to. I wish we had plenty of time. Sure. You listened to the last podcast episode, correct? With Mitchell? I have not yet. I wish oh, I did. No. Okay, I was, he, I was kind of hoping he, 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 asked, he asked me to So oh. he was telling me about, you know, entrepreneurship through acquisition. Is that what you were going for? We were talking a little bit more about um, things like real world work and trades yeah. versus college education. Yeah. And it's place in today's day and age and some of those things. But since you haven't listened to it, I really wanted to hear your perspective on it. But I, I have a point of view on it, actually. So okay. um, there's a movement going on in uh, business school. Um, it's called entrepreneurship through acquisition. So let me take a step back. Anytime there's like a jargon, don't don't be afraid of it. It's it's something simple about it. <laughs> so she she has a problem statement. Like the American economy is built in businesses, and they create jobs. But then there's this subset of businesses that are categorized as small to medium sized businesses, and these businesses were started by boomers, people that are about to retire. Mm. And they have, you know, plumbing businesses, HVAC, painting, um, you know, landscaping, uh, street cleaning, like simple, not simple, but, you know, yeah. everyday American businesses and stuff like that. So what happens is as this business owners are retiring, the generation coming just right after them are not interested and taking on those businesses. So the businesses are dying. It's creating pressure within the American uh, economic system. Mm. So a way to solve this problem is to wrap it up in fancy language and present it to people that are trying to like find meaning for their life, aka MBA students. And then you tell them, this is a way for you to be an entrepreneur by making acquisitions and you know creating jobs and all those good stuff. Uh, needless to say, they're teaching you how to roll up your sleeves and own these good old businesses and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to start to see that happen more and more. Private equity is already getting into this space as well. Um, and I'm interested in this space as well. Interesting. So is that a recent shift in what the coursework and what the view is? It's been, um, I think, 2008, 2009. It started mm -hmm. at Stanford, believe it or not, mm -hmm. uh, which is weird. 
Um, and then Harvard kind of picked it up as well. What do those people know about? Harvard? I know. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Like, the typical Stanford person is like tech and AI. And, hmm. But now they're thinking about painting and, you know, landscaping. It's really interesting because Mitchell brought up mm-hmm. that exact same point mm-hmm. um, in the conversation was that there's, even just in the local economy, that he sees all of these businesses where the owners and people who have built it are starting mm-hmm. to get past the age and yeah. ready to move on from it. And that's what he did. And so he's recognized that pattern already locally. And so it's really fascinating to hear that it's identified at a you know a higher level and it's a problem set even though it's not nationally discussed, but in those circles, it's being discussed and really acted upon. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I'm going to probably have to, like, get you the real stats, but um, I think it's something like 70% of millionaires within the United States don't have a college degree. Hmm. But Hmm. I think about 80% of them have their own businesses. Hmm. So it's having equity, which is what it is. Mitchell's um, going to be ecstatic to yeah. hear this. Yeah, yeah. He's on his way. He's yeah. on his way. <laughs> it's crazy. It's not, so it's, I think if you, it's value. You're creating value, mm-hmm. which is what innovation is. Innovation solves problem. You're delivering value to the customer. That's pretty much it. All the other things we put around it is just icing on the cake or mm-hmm. Christmas wrapping. You solve problems. And then, Innovation allows you to figure out a more efficient way to solve the problem. If you're painting, mm. um, instead of using a brush, maybe you can have like a, a pressure-powered um, hose. I know mm, nothing about painting. <laughs> and you can just like... Psh, yeah, you remember innovation. Matthias. He Matthias. was looking at... Yeah, he yeah. was trying to do that. So a little bit of context. Matthias um, was doing some painting and wanted to come up with a way to um, yeah ease the painting process and because yeah. he was tired of dipping the roller down yep. back again, correct? And the paint, the brush, uh, yeah. taking a, the paintbrush and dipping it back into yeah. the bucket. So he was trying to come up with a way with something like um, small tubes that would be fed either into the, the roller brush, brush yeah. or the brush itself yeah. that he it would go from the um, directly from the bucket yeah. into uh, onto the wall. Yeah. Yeah, so like that is the old principle behind innovation. So if you have an idea like that, the next thing you would do is you just ask the painters. They'll be your mm-hmm. customers. Yeah. They'll be like, would you use this? And they may say yes. They may say no, maybe. And they'll be like, okay, why maybe? Why no? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because it feels too heavy. So now you have to figure out a way to make it lighter. Mm-hmm. And it's just the process of collecting feedback until you find like a refined prototype. Mm-hmm. And everybody's excited about the prototype. Now you just have to figure out a way to let people know that this didn't exist. And then you have to figure out, okay, how much is it worth? Well, it's obviously worth more than the brush because it's doing more than the brush, right? And then you think about what problem it's solving and the value of the problem it's solving. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, if it's solving a $100 problem, well, I don't want to take all of the $100. I want to give the painter a portion of the $100 problem. So I'm not going to charge them $100 for the brush. I'm going to charge them like $50. Mm-hmm. And they're going to be excited because they just saved $50 and you just gained $50. Yeah. This mm. is the whole idea behind innovation. That's mm. it. Well, that's not it. But <laughs> yeah. That's and kind that's of the high everyone. level. <laughs> yeah, <thanks. laughs> I really wish we could have had you on on that episode. So mm-hmm. for our listeners who may not listen to these in order, we did a trades versus college uh, episode, which is what actually our last episode where we spoke with Mitchell, who's a business owner uh, of a gutter company here locally. And we just kind of spoke on those nuances of 
kind of how to decide those career paths and kind of the pros and cons of going to college. So mm-hmm. having you on, on our next one, who mm-hmm. this is your second time going back right? Yeah. and you're in university again and not that I want to delve too deep into this, but just because you have so much um, maybe experience there, what kind of advice do you give to someone who's either looking to do a career change, right? Like yourself, mm-hmm. um, who maybe already went to college or hasn't gone to college yet. Mm-hmm. Um, how did that process work for you? How would you recommend going about that? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so I think the answer is actually already shifting. Um, I might go on a few tangents here, but let me, so what's it, why college? What's the idea behind college? Where did this college idea even come from? It's a way to prepare people for work. Mm-hmm. That was it. Um, they needed a few capability and they realized that if we can figure out a systematic way to teach it to people before they showed up on the factory floor or whatever, um, that they became better workers. But it's obviously evolved from that point of view. Um, another value of college is it's signaling. It's mm. a signaling of value. Mm. Um, technically, we are, um, we're not lazy, but we like to like outsource hard decisions. It's just the way the brain is wired. The brain doesn't want to keep thinking about hard things. It wants to like simplify it and solve the simpler problem. It doesn't sound like that's how your brain works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like faulty or some reason. That's why I need like an MRI scan to figure out what's wrong. So anyway, college is a signaling piece to say, oh, I've got some kind of value. It could be perception, it could be real. Um, so there's value to going to school and stuff like that. But if you know what you want to do, mm. um, if you know the kinds of problems you want to solve, mm. it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um but if mm. you want to be like a doctor, right. um, you want to be a lawyer, just because of the way that practice or field is set up, it's a necessary pathway. Yeah. So the first question is, like, who do you want to be? And then if you can figure that out, um, then you can decide, how do I want to get there? College versus no college, apprenticeship versus no apprenticeship, et cetera. And then if you, even if you go to college, you figure out, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. It's fine. Like, life is fun, I guess. You mm-hmm. don't have to, like, get stuck in one thing. You can always change your mind, I guess. Does that help a little bit? Yeah, yeah. definitely. I, I feel completely validated. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because, you know, we talked about how Chase has switched so much, you yeah. know, within Microsoft, you know, within, what was it, six years? And yeah, uh, I think I've had yeah. five jobs in six yeah. years. <laughs> yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. So... This will lead into, I think, really um, into a good portion where I feel like, so before we talked and you had an idea of what to come up with, from the beginning of the conversation, and it sounds like your outlook on how you've made decisions is what impact do you want to make? Then how do you go about to make that impact? And I think that's a really important perspective to have growing up because we talked about kind of being lost and not knowing really necessarily where to go. Yeah. Anybody can have that perspective of like, mm-hmm. what impact do you want to make? What, you know, what is going to fulfill you into doing that? And since we talked about your past, we've talked about what you're doing now yeah. as you move forward. And is that still your perspective? And yeah. if it is, what do you feel like is the impact you want to make? And yeah. do you have a path you feel like you're going to go forward with? 
That's a great question. Um, so life is short. Mm. And that's kind of like the first thing to say. Like, I think everybody should kind of maybe, I did the math. I can't remember the exact math, but there was a time where I looked at how many more days I have. Doesn't mean I lived for 120 years. Mm. And it was not a big number. Like it wasn't like a million days or anything like that. And then I'm like, oh my God, that's interesting. And then you can kind of look at your 24 hours and think about how you're using your 24 hours. So anyway, that's just kind of set in a frame. So for me, I needed to come up with like key guiding principles for life. It's hard to know exactly what you want to do. It's easier to know what you don't want to do. And that comes about if you have good guiding principles or how you like frame like inputs from the world mm-hmm. and how you process it in your head. So base layer, I've got like, I'm a Christian, so I've got like this strong foundation mm-hmm. of faith of mm-hmm. how I filter inputs into my life. And I use that. That's like the biggest mm-hmm. uh, filter that I use. Um, and then on top of that, I've got a, a couple of other things. Like um, when I have an idea, for example, I don't look for evidence to validate my idea. I look for evidence to actually reject my idea. And the reason why I do that is I don't want to fall into a trap of false positive. Mm. It's a there's a psychological uh, thing that talks about um, how our brain is not symmetric in terms of how we see positive and negative. And sometimes when we have a bias for an idea, we're more likely to be over-optimistic about that idea and fail to see the negative. Mm. Um, so... When I fall in that trap, I want to make sure that I over-index on the negative. Anyway, I've got a couple of these things that I use to like interpret the world. Mm-hmm. So earlier on, I decided that if my time is limited, I needed to have a vector for what my life would be. And my vector is I believe in the human potential and I want my actions to advance the human potential. Mm-hmm. So if I'm solving a problem, it's got to be able to like help somebody be more than what they currently are. Um, so that's why like medical devices was interesting. Um, and then, Oh, he's going to make the Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I think we just discovered the next super villain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. I don't, I don't have that capability, but I can learn it. You know, no, I'm joking. I'm not going to uh, make yeah. the Terminator. But yeah, I still believe very much so in like making an impact. And it doesn't matter what it is, as long mm. as it checks that box mm-hmm. and mm. I've got the time and the energy to go for it, I will do it. So you'd say your focus right now is building a skill set that you yeah. saw as a weakness and you don't necessarily have a solid direction yeah. of what you're going to do next, yeah. but knowing that you're going to combine the skills that you've gained to then continue that, yeah. that goal. I'm probably going to pick a big problem. Mm. So um, there are a couple of options. I'm going to do something I've never done before. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Why? Okay, so because it's fun. Yeah, like, um, you're capable of more you think mm-hmm. you are, more than what you think you are. And it's just fun to see what you're capable of. Yes. <laughs> I needed that. <laughs> no. I, yeah. And Okay, so a lot of those driving forces for you then, I know just from speaking with you, a lot of it is also... Nigeria, yeah. right? So I think now that you've been in America for the last... Probably 17 years. 17 years. Been a long time. Yeah, and you visit home and, and you're able to identify these problems yeah. that you know you can 
at least seek, try to seek solutions for. Yeah. Um, what kind of steps ha- have you taken any steps? And yeah. if you have, what kind of steps have you taken to, to maybe kind of bridge some of those gaps there and, and, and find some, some problems and then find some solutions? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what's playing on in my mind. Um, so Nigeria currently has about a double digit unemployment rate. Mm. Uh, I think it's like 30% or something crazy Whoa. like that. Um, the inflation rate is also double digit as well. Um, there's a outflow of talent from the mm. country. Um, that's not good. Mm. So, and then like for me, looking from the outside in and potentially going in, it's like, what can I do to help? So what I'm trying to do is create opportunities for people that are in Nigeria, so create jobs. And I started a company, I started a media company. Um, the thought process there is I needed to like, okay, so um, if you want to give, like let's say somebody, you want to make them a fisherman, you got to train them out of fish in a sense. It's a cliche, but it's actually a very powerful one. Um, you can't just like, create a company and put people in there, you have to prepare the mind Mm -hmm. to handle that capability and stuff like that. So that's where the media company angle kind of comes from. It's like, I'm not going to be able to hire like 100 million people, but I can start to like create software, which is knowledge and insights and simplify all this complex Mm. financial terms, health terms, um, processing like the difference between time and money and Mm -hmm. why time is more valuable than money. Um, and like really like going in and rewriting the software. Mm-hmm. Like when I say software, I mean like the way people um, interpret the world yeah. and showing them an alternative that they may or may not want to adopt. Um, so that's why the media company is exciting. Um, I think the next logical step for that is, and it's affordable to do these things, mm-hmm. you know, just because of um, difference in states and how we define currency value and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the next step is to like, empower entrepreneurs um like nigeria is a very entrepreneurial community uh one of the things you learn in business school is how to like put together a deal and how to like build a business and stuff like that now that i'm going through that you know building capability in Mm -hmm. that space i can continue to practice that myself in america but also like inject capital money um into nigeria to like enable other people to do the same thing or simplify the concepts from business school, teach it to them, and then give them the money to do it and kind of mm. like multiply that. It's not easy, but it's not impossible to do. So I'm very passionate about doing that. So how's that been? You started that when? Yeah. So it's been a couple of years now. Okay. It's been slow. Um, I started it before I knew what running a business was like. Mm-hmm. Now going to business school for a year, I'm like, oh, I'm doing everything incorrectly. <laughs> I'm doing it all wrong. So after business school, I'm excited to actually like tweak it a little bit. Yeah, I'm actually excited about what it could be. I think mm, it's going to yeah. be amazing. So did you, in starting it, even though you may look at it in, in, the, in hindsight, thinking that, oh, I was doing everything wrong. Did yeah. you learn some valuable lessons doing it outside of what you already know? 100%. So um, if you're going to run a business, um, there's this concept called, like you don't want to run out of money. It sounds simple. <laughs> um, you might have all these brilliant ideas and stuff like that. Um, that's been my problem yeah. <laughs> yeah. if you run out of money it it's done <laughs> <laughs> so like things are going to come up that you haven't predicted mm. like your machine is going to go bad or your customer is not going to want to pay you mm. so now I'm going to have to think about diversifying the revenue stream so I learned that before I went to business school mm. um, and then if we're going to diversify the revenue stream I have to think about 
who I'm delivering the value to, right? Um, because people are only going to equivalent exchange, mm-hmm. right? People are only going to like exchange value for value. Uh, so I have to think about how I'm delivering value to make sure that the company continues to survive. And then a few things around like managing people, managing mm-hmm. talent, and also creating awareness about the business. Um, it's an exciting pro. I think everybody should start a business. You don't have to like, well, I think most people should consider <laughs> starting a business. Um, it's Why'd fun. you look at me? <laughs> Why'd you look like at me when you said that? He's like, you. okay, let me say, let me, let me clarify. Like, Some people you guys said. stick to your corporate <laughs> jobs. Yeah. So, there's something magical about creating, going from zero to one. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I think everybody has the potential to go from zero to one. Mm. It's just, it looks very different for each of us. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's a huge range of problems that we have and we'll always have more problems. And regardless mm-hmm. of the innovation for all the innovation, all the problems that it solves more often than not, it'll also bring along its own set of problems yeah. or highlight a set of problems that is suddenly more important yeah. because of it. So there is this wide range of opportunity for people to innovate and to yeah. find problems to solve. And I think it's only really bound by the limitation of what we see. Yeah. And, um, like you've done, right? You have your guiding principles, you have your points to really see, and then find those things that you're you're passionate about solving, about, uh, having that impact, about having a problem to solve. Yeah. So it is a fascinating point that, yeah. Yeah, and you will see it. Like, you don't have to force it. Like, it's mm-hmm. just going to, like, it's going to be like this nagging feeling. Mm. Like, I see the problem. Like, mm-hmm. I'm in America. Sometimes I don't see, like, the, the paintbrush thing. I didn't mm-hmm. see it. Matthias saw that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, dude, you saw that? You should run with that. Like, I see something differently. And for me, it's like, once I see a problem and I see, like, a way to, like, lessen the problem, and I'm hooked, you know? Yeah. It's, I cannot, like, try to do something about it. It doesn't mean it's always going to work, but um, we should probably talk about failure as well. Like, you should never let that get you down. Mm. Um, everybody, even the most brilliant people, um, there's a, a book, uh, Spark of Genius, um, and the idea there is when you're trying to like do something new, it's like you're walking from like, let's say there's a pathway and you're leaving the pathway and you're trying to find a new path, something that's never been done before. So your brain doesn't really know how to process this new context. But by trying and failing, what mm. we call failure is actually like you're writing a new code and your brain is actually recognizing pattern. We don't know exactly when it happens, but you're going to have a a spark of insight. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, what you've been struggling with for like, I don't know, uh, for Edison, it was a thousand iterations for the light bulb. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you just have a a hard moment. It's because your brain is trying to solve the problem with you. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it figures it out. And that's not something you can learn in school. It's just the magic of our neurobiology. Um, And you just go from that. Yeah, and it's really fascinating because <clears throat> we're doing that from the time that we're born. Yeah, I have a newborn daughter who's now, I think, close to six months, five or six months. But her motor skills aren't good enough to do mm-hmm. what she wants to do yet. Yeah, And so she's constantly trying, for example, to grab her passy out of her mouth and look at it and then put it back in. Mm-hmm. But up until you know recently, she wasn't even able to grab it. And so she was constantly trying and going through that failure. And that failure, that that... Uh, repetition of trying and mm-hmm. not doing it correctly and then trying it slightly differently until she can finally grab it. Now she can't put it back in her mouth yet, which is really frustrating because 
then I have to go and put it in <laughs> when she starts crying. But yeah. that point of that, we do that. And at some point in our lives, it becomes a negative thing. It becomes a detriment to our mindset. And we think we should then give up. And so it's, even though we've done it our whole lives, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why the reason that it suddenly does become, and maybe it's a social thing. Maybe it's a social pressure and the embarrassment of actual quote unquote failure. Mm-hmm. But at what point does it become that negative, um, where the negative feedback outweighs the positive feedback, right? Like when you fail as a baby, you have no yeah. negative feedback because you're just like doing it over and over again. Yeah. You don't have anything. But at some point then in life, people try and solve a problem. And what changes to suddenly where we accept so much negative feedback and the result is that we don't continue to adjust, that we entirely stop. Yeah. I'm going to tell you guys a story. It's a story I heard, um, and it was very powerful. So it's the origin of the word genius. Mm. Um, apparently, it originated from the Roman and the Greek, Greek mythology. And the thought process back in the day is an artist, an artist, a painter had a genius. Mm. Like this source of inspiration mm. that hits them and allows them to do this beautiful work. Mm. If the work is beautiful, it's not the artist. Mm. Everybody knows it's the genius of the artist. If the work is horrible, it's not the artist's fault. Mm. It's the genius of the artist was lame. But somewhere during the Enlightenment period, the word having a genius evolved into becoming a genius. Mm. And that became about the person. Yeah. So now you are either brilliant or you are either lame. Mm. So when we were kids, we had no idea what that meant. There's no concept of brilliant or lame. That's not part of awareness. But as you start to grow up through context, going to school, getting A, Bs, and Cs, we start to understand that there is something called intelligence, there's something called brilliant, and there's something called being lame. And we naturally want to be brilliant. And in order for us to be naturally brilliant, we try to like stay away from the things that are unproven. Mm. And yeah, hmm. that's a sad consequence of, hmm. I don't know if that story is real or not, but it's a mythology that is real. But I think you're right. I think that's the way we've always learned. And that's the way the brain is designed. Mm. And yeah, if you want to do something original, if nobody has done it before, there is no other way. Sometimes you're going to have to stumble until yeah. you figure it out, and that's okay. Um, I really like that framing. Yeah. Yeah, because we do, and we associate, whether it's like Albert Einstein or whether it's Picasso or someone. You now, some people might argue Picasso wasn't a genius, but. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, you know, like maybe for the listeners out there, um, people have different affinities for different subject matters. Mm-hmm. So like Stephen right now is a genius when it comes to like artistry, uh, pictures, drawing, like really understanding art. I'm not. Um, I quote unquote may be a genius when it comes to relating to people. Empathy is my thing. Mm. Um, it's what people have told me. So I may pick up empathy quicker. Stephen might pick up art quicker it doesn't matter you know you might do it in a year i might do it in 10 years you shouldn't measure your success based on somebody else's success mm-hmm. what you want to be is you want to be better than your version yesterday 
Mm-hmm. If you're better than the person you were yesterday, you're successful. Mm-hmm. Not better than Steven, not better than somebody else. Just better than your version yesterday. Yeah, I think I'd like to point out two things there. One is that he didn't point out my genius. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> But uh, well, no. we still have yet to figure it out. We, but we're it's looking. There. We're going to need someone with the genius of identifying geniuses to identify your genius. We're really prying to try to discover what. Chase That's what is. all this is. It's just even trying to find out. No, but the second thing is that uh, speaking of Einstein, he mm-hmm. had a similar saying, or at least it's attributed to him, and that you wouldn't judge a fish's mm-hmm. intelligence or genius, quote unquote genius, by the, its ability to climb a tree. Yeah. And that is, and it's a great thing because everyone does have some different ability. I mean, that'd be pretty terrifying. <laughs> if I saw a fish climbing a tree. That's that that's IT's, yeah, that's IT's problem set. Yeah, it's, it's the just next out of the norm. That's <laughs> a little too much for me. Great, though. <laughs> great. No, that's uh, that's really really cool. Um, now, you pose the question in a text, mm-hmm. but I want to ask you directly mm-hmm. and what your thoughts are, and just let you work it out. Mm-hmm. Not like your next impact, mm-hmm. but what impact do you want to leave on the world? Like, let's say, Lord Terry's, mm-hmm. what impact do you want to leave behind you? Yeah. Um, like, whenever I engage with people, it's important to me for them to feel like they became better mm. because they've spent, they've chosen to spend their time with me because their time is really valuable. So my goal is to, like, make people better. Mm. It's weird. Um, And it's not by telling them what to do or not what to do. It's just by watching how they engage with the environment and seeing where they maybe put more effort into things and trying to design the environment, not the person, to make sure that they can do the same thing but with less effort. Mm. To me, that's amazing. So I'm going to do that with some of the context we talk about in Nigeria. Um... And I'm going to do some of it in America as well, particularly helping people, um, you know, people that feel like they're stuck in what they're doing currently, creating new vectors for them to, like, fly. Mm. Uh, to me, that's exciting. Mm. I love that you mentioned that because I think knowing you personally, that's just, like, such a testament to your character is I, I don't think there's been ever one moment, one conversation or encounter with you where I didn't walk away feeling better. Oh, wow. And, and, and I think, and I wish people who don't know you personally could know you personally. And it's funny that the Gore's slogan is, you know, together improving lives. You're kind of this like walking, you know, slogan of that. And I feel like with your effort in trying to create these opportunities in Nigeria and, and even here, I'm sure it's not so much even just finding problems and solving them. I feel like it's like a people problem, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's finding that potential and, and realizing it and, and making sure that it becomes manifest in some way. And like you said, I think there's a lot of individuals who can be stuck or maybe mm-hmm. not know what they want to do. And, and for you to create opportunities, it becomes like a, a, a person, like a people, um, mm-hmm. a, a people, uh, what's the word? Not issue, uh, like a, people innovation, I guess. Yes, people um, innovation, exactly. You're bettering people yeah. more than you're bettering a process. As much as you probably will be bettering a process or a system, in the long run, your goal is bettering the person yeah. to some degree. Like the best, like somebody once told me, 
it's not innovation if it's not changing behavior. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. So like the best innovations are the ones you don't even know exist mm. because they just become part of your mm. routine. Like somebody actually pays attention to how you engage your environment and they make it better and you don't even notice. That's the kind of impact I want to have on the world. Hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's kind of weird, too. but I was letting that soak yeah. in because that's just really good. Yeah, like things you don't like. You know, take away the internet. No, you're, you're, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna notice it, right? But now it's become right available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's a big deal. Um, I'm sure there are little things too, like. Um, like antibacterial drugs mm-hmm. um, or like indoor plumbing. Can mm. you imagine if we don't have indoor plumbing in New York City? I legit think of that almost on a daily. Yeah, it yeah. could be a big deal. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> even kidding. I'm always like, oh my gosh, imagine if we didn't have like modern day plumbing yeah. in, in homes. <laughs> That's such a weird thought. But yeah, absolutely. I think it's fun to make people better. Yeah. Mm. But not them, but change the environment to allow them to be more of what they are capable to be. Yeah. Yeah. Nurturing. Yeah. To be able 100%. to. 100%. Yeah. So along those lines, when when you're in that process of, of finding a problem and a solution or creating a system that people can work in, mm-hmm. what do you, how do you approach that? Do you see someone with potential and then you say, I'm going to nurture them or I'm just going to create opportunity and whoever's drawn to that? I'll make an investment in that person and help them grow. Like, how do you approach that? Yeah, I kind of think of it not on an individual level, but on a systems level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll use a Go example. Like, we created an innovation podcast at Go. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why we did that was because I made some observations. Probably can't go into details there, but I made some observations and then based on those observations, I made some assumptions around what the consequence of those observations could be. And the consequence, like on the limit, if you take it far enough, could be bad. Not for the just for the company, but for the people which make up the company. And you're not obviously going to solve the problem in one swoop, but you're going to make an approach to lessen the impact of the problem. Um and then as I thought about a platform that allows people to gain awareness of the problem and start to think about potential ways to solve it, that made sense at mm. the time. So that was a system level issue, extrapolating into the future that doesn't exist yet, but then realizing that that future is not acceptable and doing something today. So it's the same thing with Nigeria. Um, like as I think about it, if the capable people, it's just like a business. Like you want the best talent. Mm-hmm. Um, immigration, for example, is one of the greatest inventions for America mm. because you're bringing in brilliant people, hardworking people, whatever the vector you're targeting is, and you're building this American engine and you're making it better. Mm. But there's a negative side to that because where they're coming from, all of a sudden they don't have that talent anymore. Mm-hmm. So we've got to like 
I'm pro-innovation, obviously. I mean, I'm pro-immigration, but on the limit, that's not going to be good for Nigeria. (laughs) So how do we create equally exciting opportunities for some of those people to stay? Mm. You might argue that's not a problem today, but 50 years from now, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I see it, right? And and I'm just taking incremental steps. And I want to create like this movement that will continue to go even when I'm not around, right? Uh, because I think that's how you start to like change the context to actually improve people's lives without them even knowing mm. that that's going on. So... It's interesting that you mentioned that because I was having a conversation today about something very similar Mm. in that I was looking and thinking of like, why does so much innovation come from the U.S., right? Why are there so many great leaps forward from the U.S.? And I had to clarify that because my perspective wasn't that, oh, it just only comes from American people, but it comes from so many brilliant people around the world who come here and then are able to fulfill those goals where they couldn't do it other places. So I was curious of why that was, and I don't have an answer, but it's just, it is an interesting problem set where you're exactly talking about why those people are brilliant where they are, but they come here so then they can act on that brilliance. And why isn't that possible where they are? Um, And Hey, I'm, I'm very grateful and, and happy to have that come from here and that those things can be done here. But I'm really interested to see what your perspective on why that is. Yeah, so Elon Musk, as brilliant as he is, mm-hmm. I don't think he could have lived that brilliance anywhere else but in America. Mm-hmm. Like the context and the system set up here enabled that brilliance to shine. That's what I mean by like yeah. believing in the human potential and creating a system for letting that human potential to drive. Um Let's take Nigeria, for example. Um, electricity in some places is not constant. Um, the roads are not, like, always pristine, and security is not always, um, like, well set up like you have in America. So let's say you have, 100, uh, like you have 100% energy. Because of those systemic issues that exist in that country, you have to take a portion of your 100% energy to try to solve those daily problems. So what would have been 100% utilization in America now is about 60% at best in Nigeria just because of the context. Mm. It has nothing to do with a person. It's just because of the system that exists between those two different communities. And if you extrapolate that forward, a person that is devoting 100% energy to one task versus a person that is devoting 60%, it's just a greater probability that the person devoting 100% is going to win out. It has nothing to do with capability and brilliance. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with the context within which those two people exist. Mm-hmm. America figured that out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then America went a step further to say, this is not going to be a closed system, meaning anybody that comes to this country is going to be able to like access the same system that allows for that maximum utility of the human potential. And then not only did they figure it out, they figured out a way to identify people that are going to maximize that systemic capability mm. and they're bringing them in, in all vectors, right? Um, mm. There's so many different immigration programs that exist. If you start a business in America, if you come to America for school, you can have immigration status after 
a certain amount, amount of time. So they're maximizing that capability. And it's so hard. Like, how are you going to compete with that? Mm, yeah. So, yeah, that's yeah. one advantage that I see um, that continues to set America apart. And I want to try to, like, help, you know, take that 60% maximum utility in Nigeria to 61%, mm. to 62%, to 63%. That's really my goal. Hmm. I wish I could add to it, but really, I mean, I, that speaks for itself. Just, just, just an hypothesis, but yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's, I mean, you think about a, a company, and that's similar, right? If they want to keep the talent they have, they have to create opportunity where that yeah. talent can grow. If not, they're going to end up at a company where if they do nurture uh, those capabilities and that environment, then that company is going to get better and better. Yeah. And the talent's just going to be drawn more and more to that company. And they're going to want to be jumping over. And then other companies might be left yeah. lacking a little bit. Mm. Maybe that's a bad analogy for. No, no, no. It's culture, right? Yeah. Culture. This is why yeah. like culture is such yeah. a competitive advantage. Like as an individual, um, this is one approach to life uh, or not, not to life, but potentially one experience you may have you learn to solve a problem and you get good at it. But then you realize that you're going to like reach a local maximum. You're going to get to that full summit if you continue to like work by yourself. Now, the next problem for you to solve is to like take that capability that you have within yourself and put it into three other people. Mm. Now you just tripled your effectiveness. If you do it right, it's going to be slow. Like the first time you do it, like you're going to be better than those three people. But then just give it time. Like they're going to, surpass you in productivity mm. but then like you have to like not only teach them that capability but you have to teach them the ability for them to leverage themselves as well this is the power of culture and this is how you like get to exponential productivity and stuff like that um yeah this is what america does very well mm. yeah that is yeah that's really true yeah, and then, um, <clears throat> so let's see. And then exponential growth does look, it starts out that it looks like it's small. Like if you have a doubling number, you think, oh, it's going to take forever to get to this huge yeah. number. But really, one times, you know, two is two, and two times two is four, and four times two is eight. And then you just continue even just doubling that number individually. Really quickly, it grows into a massive number. So that yeah. same thing, if you spread out your knowledge and your expertise to even two people, yeah. and each of those two people, spread that out to two other people themselves, you know, really quickly, you have that culture that you're wanting. And yeah. it may seem like it's slow to you because you're like, oh, I only did those two people. Yeah. But then there's a massive change where you can't even necessarily control it or, or even have the perspective over it all. 100%. Hmm. I think that's where collaboration and partly diversity, mm -hmm. right, of a team is so crucial to furthering the capability of whatever product or idea or goal that might be, you know, set in place. Yeah. It's like, this is why like social media is very powerful. Mm. Like anytime you can figure out a way to decentralize yourself. And dangerous. It's very powerful and dangerous. Yeah. It's, it's huge. Um, or like think about writing, for example. Um, like the first time you write a book, it's painful. Like, just to finish that one book, 
Yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. never written a book, yeah. but I imagine it's very painful because I can't get past like the first paragraph. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, but it's fun. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, like it could take you, I don't know, three years to write the book. The same book, not a different book. How mm. long does it take you to like write the same book, but just make another copy of it? Yeah. Mm. Like one second. Yeah. Just copy and paste. Yeah. And that, that's what social media allows you to do. In in a human context, it's obviously not one second. Um, so if it took you like three years to build one capability to like pass it on to three people, it might take you five years. <clears throat> but it's not 15 years. Mm. It's big. And then for them to each pass it on to different people, maybe seven years, but now you have nine people. Mm. So that leverage is huge. Um, I think if you want to impact the world in a big way, not only do you have to have conviction in terms of what you want to do, but you have to figure out leverage as well. Mm. Um, and those two things combined can can go a long way. When you first posed the question of what impact you want to make, my mind went to something very similar in that people who have had this really big impact historically mm-hmm. have either done something similar like what you said where suddenly their invention is so large that it becomes beyond them and they're yeah. they're forgotten but they're that impact continues to grow yeah. so large that they're they're not even there mm-hmm. but also in things like um written word and ideas mm-hmm. and art mm-hmm. right these things that last and continue to have this impact and suddenly again have this outsized impact in today's day and age as people are trying to consider what they have um and the impact that they can have the opportunity for impact is so much greater and more available than what it was yeah. because their idea or writing or art or idea had to be so good that it was just passed on yeah. by every individual where it went, right, yeah. and become recognized that way. Whereas now, you know, it would start in a very small circle, local, and then word of mouth would pass on mm-hmm. and it would continue. And then they, oh, I need to go see this person. Mm-hmm. Now, just like we're doing here, the ideas and things that we talk about now have a much, much larger, and granted, it's not even on the scale of what's normal, you know, what is like a successful podcast or something, it's still so much bigger than I ever thought it would be, and even six months in, much less however far down the road. As people, if they come to the approach that I want to make an impact, do you have any advice or thoughts on how they should approach that with the capability and sometimes in youth, not the full understanding of mm-hmm. the repercussions that their impact may or may not have on not only their lives, but a bunch of other people's lives. Yeah. Social media spreads to millions and millions of people regularly. Yeah. So how do you, or how, how do you prevent that from suddenly because a, a impact does not, have to be positive yeah. it can be negative it can be negative as well yeah and how do you approach that when you're looking and trying to as a even as a young person right because yeah. you've mentioned you have more perspective now and yeah. what you did then was just because that's what you did yeah and nowadays people are continually having impact through mm-hmm. social media for example so how do you guide that and how do you try and ensure you have a positive impact with the newfound power that we have and should you avoid that mm. until you have that Perspective or? No. Um, you should never, you're never going to get to like enlightenment mm. if that's a thing. I'm not there yet, I guess, and I'm still trying to make an impact. So yeah. um, 
if you speak to somebody that's like 99 years old, I'm pretty sure they still have like a bunch of questions. Mm. So you're going to make mistakes is fine. Mm. There are a ton of things I said like 15 years ago that I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. I know better, but at the time, what I knew it was the best thing to say. Mm. So be okay with that. That's fine. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you shouldn't stop yourself. So when you're trying to make an impact on the world, um, how do I explain this? So it's not like, it's just something you can't get away from. Mm. You know, it's not because of fame or fortune. Mm. It's just a problem. Like I try to like not do it. Mm. It's not like I'm excited to do it. I try to not do it, but it just doesn't go away. Like before I started a company in Nigeria, it took five years. It's not something I just did immediately. So I tried not to do it. But then it just never go away. It didn't go away. So I just did it. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm doing it, I find energy and passion in it. So I mm-hmm. continue to do it. Mm-hmm. As soon as I still find energy and passion, I pivot. So you must, not you must, but do the things that bring you energy. Um, it's not going to feel like work. And be open to feedback. Mm-hmm. Like you should always, so I talked about not looking for evidence to like accept my hypothesis, Mm -hmm. but I'm always looking for evidence to reject my hypothesis. Mm -hmm. So even as I'm speaking with conviction, I'm looking for evidence to suggest that I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And when I find that evidence, I stop, I pivot. But yeah, so you're never going to be the enlightened one where you know all things and you know what to do at every second. You just have to give it your best shot. But then you have to be open to feedback and really process the feedback. Like sometimes the feedback may not be accurate. Mm. So it's okay for you to filter the feedback, mm. but rather kind of think about the feedback to say, is it fundamentally true? Mm. And if it's fundamental, like your life should be in the pursuit of fundamental truth, mm. right? Um, and for me, like I, the hypothesis of the 100% energy and 60% energy, like I'm looking for evidence to refute that, but I haven't found it. Like, yeah, there are brilliant people in places in the world that haven't even unlocked that potential yet because they're spending that energy solving like day-to-day problems. Like, how am I going to find the next meal? <clears throat> if I'm able to like give them the next meal, that potential is going to open and they're going to see that brilliance. So yeah, don't wait till you're like enlightened and be open to feedback. So here's a <clears throat> here's some issues I see with that, and I'm I'm coming from the perspective of a young person who mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of life experience. There's a couple of things where you're looking for feedback to invalidate your perspective. That's yeah. how your approach is, and that's yeah. a good approach. Yeah. But in today's day and age, you're going to find validation and invalidation on either side. And yeah. more often than not, instead of having a good discourse, the invalidation, quote unquote, invalidation will come in the form of a negative way. Right? It won't be a, how you're going to perceive it is not going to be this helpful way. Mm-hmm. And the, the initial response is to reject that mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not in a helpful manner. It's not, it doesn't seem to come from a helpful intent, even if it's the correct view mm-hmm. brought across in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. So you'll reject all invalidation. That seems to become wh- what we do more now and now yeah. is that we stick to those validations because those validations are there. And like you said, our mindset is to look for that positive, is to look for that. Mm-hmm. So one of the ways that I was thinking about it is, is there a... In today's day, 
as a young person who is expressing these ideas, is it better to start looking for a, and not a quote unquote enlightenment, but start looking to impact your local community first and to ensure to get that feedback from people that you trust. Because as soon as it's opened up into the world, it's no longer people that you trust. It's just people who have their own perspectives Yeah, and it can do good and bad things and you can do good and bad things based on that. And you can hamper or in, improve your growth yeah. based on how you either perceive it or reject it. So the approach of getting that feedback locally, making an impact locally first, getting that, like you said, looking for that invalidation or validation, talking about your thoughts and your perspectives to people you trust and who have that perspective until mm-hmm. you reach a place where you're able to filter out and to look at things objectively, which is a skill in itself Yeah, because Regardless, if someone you trust gives you negative feedback on something that you have, an idea, uh, uh, some impact, whatever, it's still going to hurt, and the response is to either entrance or reject. Until you learn to take a step back, get perspective of where they're coming from, understand Mm -hmm. that it's either a good place and their ideas have merit, or they don't, and it doesn't necessarily apply, but it may be able to be useful in a certain way. Mm -hmm. right? And that takes a long time to grow that ability. So... It's an impossibility to take that away now. And I don't have an answer for the problem in that the ideas and things that are spread now are also on record for forever. So even if you do eventually grow into that person, everything you have on record can be used against you one way or another and then decrease your ability to have a positive impact because you may be haunted by that for forever. So it's just an interesting set of problems that we've never had necessarily like we yeah. do now, especially for young people who are disproportionately online and putting voice out to Got everyone. It. Got it. Versus now, you know, and being stuck with all of those yeah. those ideas that you may disagree with later on. Yeah. So it's really interesting to how do you adjust for that? How do you then yeah. ensure that you're you can stay on that vector of positive impact yeah. and not trip yourself up in the future where you may have a really huge positive benefit through all that you've learned. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah, a couple of things to unpack there. So let's talk about online, Mm -hmm. for example. Um, It's a technology. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. Every technology has a positive side and a negative side. Mm -hmm. Before you use a technology, you have to think about the asymmetry that exists within that technology. When it comes to, like, online, there's a negative, there's a massive negative asymmetry. Um, A lot of people are, driven to leverage this online platform because of the potential. But then only a subset of people are going to succeed, like have the huge success. Mm -hmm. But then there's this tale of people that are going to have the negative externality from this platform because, like you said, it doesn't go away, Mm -hmm. quote unquote. So before you do something, you have to think about the positive benefit asymmetry that exists with that technology. And you have to think about your particular risk tolerance. Mm. Um, And if it doesn't balance, um, I would shy away from that technology. Kids are known for being good at assessing risk. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fair point. So how do you do this? Okay. So I think on the path to, okay, this is just something the earlier you learn this, you're going to save yourself a lot of pain. The fact that I'm choosing to look at Chase right now 
means that there's a ton of things that I'm not seeing. Mm-hmm. The fact that I've chosen, you know, like, like made a choice to like focus on you, there's a billion things going on in the world that I'm not aware of. Mm-hmm. You are valuable, like as a human being, mm-hmm. you're finite. So recognize that. You need to surround yourself with people you trust that have a different perspective from you to protect yourself. This is why mm. I always look to invalidate my own idea mm. because of the fundamental reason that I am fallible. As a kid, though, um, I would, you know, we have freedom of expression, freedom of speech, but I think to your point, um, if that person is incapable of weighing the pros and cons of a particular platform, maybe they're not ready to drive. Mm. Like, you know, you can't get a graduate's license as a 10-year-old. It's um, an impairment of freedom of expression to some extent, but it makes sense. Mm. So I guess the younger generation will just have to, like, trust their parents or whoever Mm. their guardian is to say they don't hate you. Mm. It's just because there is this asymmetry that they're aware of that you're not aware of. So um, maybe, yeah, to your point, maybe you shouldn't do certain things because of the the risk-reward is imbalanced kind of a thing. So, yeah, 100% agree with what you're saying. And I think it really does come to, and it's difficult to recognize, it's getting better, but we've all kind of grown up in both stages of this yeah. where suddenly the availability and power that you have even if it's, you don't recognize it as quote-unquote power, but it is because you have the ability to suddenly express yeah. more and have a bigger impact than what used to be, mm-hmm. is that to understand the potential risk from a parent's perspective and the responsibility to protect the children from that because as we've all started to see, there's a ton of negative and positive things out there that come yeah. from this. And kids are, are involved with it yeah. inevitably. <clears throat> and to ensure that, you know, have these conversations, have, I wish that I would have grown up and there's no way my parents could have known that because it was an, like, it was beyond their understanding. It was mm-hmm. just wasn't what they grew up with. But as me, as we come up with kids and as we start to have conversations with teenagers coming up, have these types of conversations with them. Yeah be able to really point out and, and express the risks and potentials down the future that they don't see right now because all that, you know, kids see is just right in front of their face. Yeah. And understand, and, and as parents understand what their kids are being exposed to and what their kids are exposing, yeah. you know, and um, to, yeah, really guide that and make sure that they are involved. And um, I look at my own my own children and, and, and seeing that, like I said, it's a, it's a living record that mm-hmm. really can never go away because once it's gone out of your phone or out of whatever, it's out of your control. Yeah. And there's a massive amount of risk, a massive amount of potential, and I would like to see the potential be realized and the risks mitigated as much as possible. Yeah. But to do that, it really has to start with your, your raising and your being involved with what is going on on that digital world and on the platforms that are out there. Yeah, 100%. Um, like there's always two sides to the world. Mm. Maybe that's another key insight that I picked up on the way. Um, so think about a famous person. Um, you probably know 
more than they want you to know about their life. Yeah. They're famous. The fame is great, but then they don't have privacy. They have some privacy, but not a lot of privacy. So that's there's always there's always a price for everything mm-hmm. you do in life. Um, when you spend time at work, you don't spend that time at home. There's always that double side to things. So like whenever whenever you make a decision, again I know twelve year olds may not be the best to do this. Not all of them, maybe some of them. Just always think, okay, what am I gaining? What am I giving up? Mm. And see if that balance is in your favor. And maybe ask somebody you trust. Um, and sometimes somebody's going to make that decision for you. Don't, it's okay. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you get to a certain age, you'll be able to make that decision yourself. But hopefully they're explaining to you why they're doing the things they're doing yeah. so that you understand mm. the thought behind it. I think one of the benefits of being the youngest of four siblings was <laughs> kind of seeing all the mistakes they made mm. and then completely ignoring it and making all the same mistakes. Because <laughs> <my mom died. laughs> you had no. me in the first half. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think, I think as a young person by nature, you know, you can be told and you can be cautioned by those who have your best interest in mind. But I think when you're young, you, and especially, you know, we're talking 12 year olds and all that kind of stuff, but when you're still not an adult, but you're growing into a young adult or an older teenager, you're 16, 15, 16, 17, and and you're, you're having a little bit more freedom and liberty and you feel like you're mature enough to make certain decisions. A lot of times as a child, you just, and yeah, that is, it's still a child, you you throw you just you you'd rather just learn on your own, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, that's to the detriment of your <laughs> of your life or your character or whatever it might be. But yeah, I, I looking back, I think about how many times my siblings told me, "Hey, you know, we recommend not doing it this way, or not doing this, or not deciding to do this." And you're just so sometimes, and depending on the character and how you're raised and everything, but sometimes you're like, "Well, it's worth it's worth it," you know. Mm. I, it might pay out, might yeah. be a positive thing in the end. Sometimes it's not, and you regret that. But I feel like even as an adult, you you kind of start. It doesn't always go away, right? Sometimes yeah. like, well, maybe it'll be worth the risk. Maybe I should do this, and then you end up paying for it a little bit later. But yeah, it's just such a learning curve, and I think it's hard, depending on what kind of community yeah. is around you, right? Mm-hmm. And I think more and more I'm learning, and it, it goes to that like iron sharpens iron, right? Where I'm learning to trust the feedback that those around me give me because I've surrounded with myself, surrounded myself with people I can trust and who I know whose opinion comes from a place of caring or Mm -hmm. empathy or because they do have uh, my, my best interest in mind. And um, so, yeah, I think being selective of who Mm -hmm. you surround yourself with is, is a huge, um, it's, it's hugely important, especially when you're at that age, um, who you're letting influence you and, yeah. and that carries on into adult life. You know, I mean, a lot of times you're not careful with who you surround yourself with and it can be a negative force in your life or a positive force. And it can honestly make a huge difference. hundred percent. Yeah. And to tie it back to what you said, I think to start practicing, practicing it early of deciding what type of impact you want to have. Yeah. And making sure you're doing that. 
But building that filter that you talked about, now we have our belief system that really Mm -hmm. gives us a great filter around that, but those core guiding principles, you start building that and practicing using that filter, right? Like get those muscles done early rather than later on and to then hopefully make those good decisions and and decide to have a good impact on whatever capability you have. Even if you do use some sort of social media platform or anything else, you know, if you are deciding to have a good impact and using it as best to your ability to have a good impact. Like you said, sometimes we're going to make mistakes and do it. But I mean, if your intent is to have something good and I don't, I'm not sounding like, Oh yeah, just go ahead and do it. Yeah. But I think it's, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I think just, I love the, the concept of building a filter Mm -hmm. to view the world in and interpret the world and then deciding what type of impact you want to have and aiming for that. I love that. Just do the best you can. And I think it was Jeff Bezos that said, whenever he was stuck on a key decision, he would always look into the future and say, would my 80-year-old person regret this decision Mm. or not? Uh, So maybe getting the habit of asking that question on tough decisions could be good. Yeah. I wish I would have done more of that type of thing when I was younger. I think everyone does. Yeah, yeah. I honestly, that's why I'm saying I think it's just a natural part of life yeah. where and then, you know, I have nieces and nephews that are the age I was when I was, you know, making all these decisions on my mm-hmm. own. And, and I, I'm like suddenly in the shoes of my older siblings or those who were older than me that cared about me. And it's almost like, you know, that scene in uh, Interstellar when he spoiler alert when he he can see himself walking out the yeah. door of his daughter's bedroom and he's like no 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 like <laughs> that's kind of what it feels like sometimes yeah. right like you it's see just inevitable yes you see a younger version of you in in these youth and and you feel like telling them like you know like <sighs> but i i think the best thing you can do is encourage yeah you know if anything you know regardless of the of what happens encourage learning from right. the experience yeah yeah just be better than you were yesterday yeah yeah, just a little bit better. A little bit. If you're 1% better than you were yesterday, it's another exponential growth factor. Yeah. If you're 1% better than you were yesterday, the next day you'll be even a little bit better, a little bit bigger improvement than you had the day before, and that'll continue on. It's yeah. fun. Yeah. It adds up. And enjoy it. Yeah, that's true. Enjoy it. Like, it's it's not all doom and gloom. There's a lot of a lot of life out there that's even more available than it's ever been. 100%. And you can make more of it. And it is great. Yeah. Yeah. Start a podcast if you guys. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, you, we can do anything. We can do anything. Like being an Nobody's going to so listen. But <laughs> like we get to drive out, meet up at 930 at night and yeah. record a podcast. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah. We're suddenly just going to be requested, though, to be replaced and just have IT. They're like, on. can it just no. be his own podcast? Hey, could you guys remove your audio tracks and just let him talk? That'd be great. <laughs> Everybody has a beautiful story, mm-hmm. but you're right in it, so you don't see it. Yeah, It's when you stop and actually sit down and think back on it, you realize that your story is unique and it's beautiful. So just keep moving forward. Love that. Man, I don't want it to end, I but I feel like that's like the perfect that's, ending. Yeah. And we're still just going to be now. Um, Man. I want to say thank you very much. I yeah, know. So yeah, you, you've been very gracious giving us the time that you've had because you've been very busy visiting people and it's a short yeah. visit. So 
we Thanks appreciate so. it and hope that uh, if you're listening, you also do get to enjoy it. Do you have anything you want to say before we end it? No, I enjoy you guys. Uh, I think I love the chemistry and thanks for bringing exciting conversations to the world. Uh, it's great to have you. And um, until next time, we will have you on again. We got a lot more wisdom to share and this was not enough time. Cheers. Thanks, everyone. Bye.